Good morning. Open your Bibles with me, please, to Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter. This uh, hopefully will be a familiar passage to you, the Great Commission. And then we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 here in just a moment. But let me read this for you by way of introduction here. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but, but some doubted. Uh, isn't that amazing? And also, it also kind of hopefully gives us a little bit of courage to, that we can still have faith and still struggle with some things. Right? Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, make note of this, this is really the emphasis that I want to bring out here. In verse 18, Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. You guys have been taught when you see a therefore, you need to look wherefore. So it's, um, go therefore. Why? Why? Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. What an encouragement to the end of the age. Turn over to First uh, Peter chapter 4. Verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Actually, to get context, we'll back up there to verse 10. <clears throat> A little bit of context here. 1 Peter chapter 4, <clears throat> beginning in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, listen to this, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, I've got, uh, this is a no-no for every preacher. I have two themes. And... uh, but I hope they're related to one theme. This is Missions Month. You guys have been hearing about this. Missions Month, um, I've shortened it to uh, M&M Month. I thought that would be a sweet title. Some of you will get that later. But, but li- yeah, it's really bad. My, my daughter's hiding her face over here. I can, I can see that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know him. But listen, it's no laughing matter, is it? This, this huge mission that we have before us. And, I, and this is the, kind of the two themes that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the mission. That is, that is what, what is it the church is supposed to be about? We have what's called the Great Commission here. But I want, to say, I want to say that this is just a means there in Matthew 28. That is the means by which we accomplish a larger mission, singular. Missions is, is what we do. The mission is what we are trying to accomplish, the goal of what we're trying to accomplish. And I'm going to talk to you about that. And the, and the other, other theme that certainly relates to this idea of missions as well is, is the authority of Christ, the absolute sovereign authority of Christ. And so these two major themes are, are the, listen, the, the blinding and enlightening glory of God and this awesome authority of Jesus Christ. These are the two themes that I hope to cover today. Um, I hope you guys don't have anywhere to be. This is going to take a little while. 
my, my, I was talking to my wife about this. It's these are this. I feel so small. I was talking to some of the guys. I feel so small to talk about these large things. But isn't it, isn't it so wonderful? We don't preach ourselves. We we preach Christ, and we have this wonderful instruction from the from the from the Word of God. Well, in Matthew chapter 20, 28, we have this great commission, and notice immediately who gives it. This is, this is on the heels of what? This is on the heels of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the risen Lord of the church. The, the authoritative Jesus is giving the mission or the missions for the church. The one who is the resurrection and the life, the giver of life and the master over death is commanding His church, this is what you're to be about. This is what you're to do. We call it the Great Commission. It's, it's not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. That's Hudson, Hudson Taylor. Another person said every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. In other words, it's, it's, it's what we're to be about. right? It is, it, is, it is the activity. And by the way, it's a corporate activity. Yes. Not, not, not just something that's to be participated by the elite, just those who are enthusiastic about it, right? It is, it is to be uh, practiced by the church, a, a corporate activity. Uh, again, not just an activity of the committed few. It, it's given to what? The church. The church. The apostles, those gathered at that day, a sort of a last instructions from their sovereign Lord. This is what you're to be about. This is the mission in order to accomplish. These are missions, if you will, in order to accomplish the mission. So I want to pause here. I want to ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word. And then I just want to present these two great themes concerning missions. And I hope it makes sense by the grace of God. God, will You, will you do this for us? Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity. That Really this month, God, if it be Your will that You tarry and You decide not to come and Your good sovereignty, Lord, will You help us this whole month? God, maybe, maybe even every day and every month of every year, God, to, to reconsider, if You you will, God, the mission that you have sent your church on, this mission that we're to be about. Father, I need your help this morning. I need your help, God, to give clarity. And Lord, not only that, but Lord, for that word, the truth of your word to get inside of us. Not only to enlighten our understanding and enlighten our minds, but God, then, then God, to, to fix what is broken and wrong in us and, and, and to challenge, Lord, the, the way in which we live and the way in which we think and the words that come out of our mouth. So, Lord, we might all as believers, all who profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ, might be a part, God, might be a full participant in Your mission. Thank You, Father, for our time in Your Word. I pray that You would help us, aid us, in this effort, this supernatural event that you call preaching. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me ask you by way of just kind of introdu- introducing this whole thing. Why, why should we be interested in Southern Africa? Why, why, I mean, why be interested in a place like Zimbabwe, 13, 13 million people there? Why, why be interested in South Africa? I mean, South Africa, I mean, this place is, that's just loaded with human trafficking and probably has one of the highest crime rates in the world. Why be interested in a place like that? Why be interested in a place like Italy, where 90-some percent of the population claims to be Roman Catholic and has little or no interest in a biblical or a Christian message of a salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone? 
Why be interested in a place like Czech Republic, where, where again, you know, most of the population claims to be atheistic. Uh, I mean, it has a rich heritage of Christianity, and yet, yet these, these ornate buildings and churches have now just become museums, and Christianity is sort of thought of like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. I mean, why be interested in a place like that? Why be interested in a place like Spain? Again, sort of this post-Christian secular culture, this sort of uh, European culture that has little or no interest in the salvation from sin, right? Why should you be personally concerned? I mean, why, why give? Why support our missionaries there? Why, why pray? Why, why go, for that matter? Well, the convincing biblical answer is that the authoritative Christ has commanded us. Yes. <laughs> and that these places around the world are, are an integral part of God's plan for redeeming and gathering an international group of believers called the church. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A people gathered from every tribe and tongue and nation. A people gathered and transformed by grace for the sole purpose of God's glory in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. I want to talk to you about this mission for a moment before we get into the authority of Christ. I want to talk about this mission for a moment and this task of putting God on display in the world among the nations. I want to argue that the mission of the church, listen, is the glory of God. Yes. That is the mission, singular. That is the singular mission of the church. And, and, and so then missions, that is what we do, becomes the means by which this happens. I mean, think about it for, for a moment. I mean, how in the world are people going to be going to glorify God? People, people that really want nothing to do with God at all. They're going to they're begin to glorify God when they're made to be what? Like Him. <laughs> when they're made to be like Him. No one, look up here at me. No one, no one, no one, are you understand? Glorifies God like His Son, Jesus Christ. So that when we're conformed more and more to the image of our Son, then we have a greater capacity to glorify our God. Amen? Amen. Yeah. When we say the glory of God, I I simply mean putting Him, that is all of His perfections, all, all that He is on display. That's what I mean. Making Him known to all the world, particularly known in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, now I want to say this right up front too. Now, now we don't make God more glorious than He is. Do you understand that? We don't, we don't make God more glorious than, 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 than what He is. We don't, nothing that we do, nothing that we say ever, ever makes God more glorious. God doesn't change. You understand that? He doesn't become less glorious or more glorious because of what we do or what we don't do. His glory forever shines brighter than the heavens. His, his perfections, His mercy, His grace, His power, His holiness never change. We we say in theology, He is immutable, right? He's, he's unchangeable. That's good theology. God is God. His perfections and character are not enhanced or hindered by our activity or our non-activity. So what I'm referring to is ascribed glory. Do you understand? What I'm referring to is ascribed glory. It's like the psalmist says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. In other words, make Him known in places He's not known. (laughs) Through your actions, through your words, through your attitudes. Go to work or to play or, or your mission field with certain words on your lips and certain thoughts about God that reveal the true nature of who He is. 
right? Love Him. Worship Him. Serve Him. Sing to Him. Praise Him so that a watching world will know. In other words, the whole program, the whole activity of the church is to be designed for this purpose. That our triune God would be made fully known in the world. Amen? That's it. That's what we mean by living for or the glory of God is our mission. Jesus said it this way. He said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works what, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, live in such a way to make much of our God so that He's valued by His creatures, right? As He is in all of His perfections. Above all power and perfection and beauty, there's none like Him and none above Him. Amen. <laughs> Listen carefully. I want to say this right up front too because, because all, I think immediately most of us who are Christians or have been Christians for a little while understand now the challenge, don't we? Because every fallen man rebels against this. Yes. Rebels against this. And, and the world in which we live, people and even many churches are seeking what? Their own glory. Uh-huh. Yeah. Promoting their own causes. Putting, putting on display for the world to see their own fallenness. They're naturally takers, not, not givers. Evidenced uh, even among believers who come and go as they please to church. Uh, or, or people that make statements like, well, I just don't get anything out of it. Well, did you ever think that, that maybe church isn't about you? That's right. Maybe, maybe it's about God and His glory. Hmm. They'll stay at their church as long as it serves their felt needs. Most churches, listen, it, it's really hard to tell who or what people are living for. But take a quick look at what we spend uh, the majority of our time doing, uh, what we spend our money on, or or are working uh, to entertain ourselves, and you clearly see what people are living for. Mm. It's clear that man thinks his chief end is his own pleasure. The world thinks this is, this is man's end, to discover himself, to fulfill himself, to pleasure himself, to promote himself, to fatten his ego with his own accomplishments, his trophies, his awards, his wealth, right? This is, I, I think, the, the very essence of man's deepest and most sinister problem. Do you understand? It, it, is, it, is, it is man's deepest and most sinister problem. He loves himself way too much. I mean, isn't what Jesus said? I mean, our world says, you know, seek for yourself, you know, uh, self-actualization, self-promotion. But what did Jesus say when He came? If any man would come after me, what? Let him deny himself. Jesus said the problem was self. Yes. Not the answer, but the problem, right? Missions exist because people on their own are not interested in the glory of God. They're not interested in making much of God or putting His beauty on display for the world to see and love. John Piper said it this way. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Yeah. But God, listen, but God is actively seeking His own glory. And by the way, it's right for God to do so. It's right for Him to do so. If we do that, what is sin? Because we're fallen creatures. But, but the perfect one, the, the perfect God, the Creator, the one who's not a creature, the one who created all things, it's perfectly right and good for God to seek His own glory. Yeah. Probably no text in the Bible reveals the passion of God for His own glory more clearly than what Brother Harry read just a few moments ago in Isaiah chapter 48, verses 9-11. through 11. 
Where God says concerning stubborn Israel, here's what He says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not go give to another. Listen to that. For my name's sake, for the sake of my praise, for my own sake, for my own sake, how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. I mean, this, this verse, I think, if he gives a, a right or a left cross, whichever hand you are, whichever your strong hand is, it, it, really, it really punches us straight in the face of our own ego and our own pride and our, and our own desire to glorify ourselves. Here is God seeking His own glory. <laughs> this is the centrality of God in the pursuit of His own glory. The, the most passionate heart for the glory of God is God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. God's ultimate goal is to uphold and display the glory of His name. I mean, all through the Bible, you see the pursuit of God for His own glory, do we not? God chose His people for His own glory. Listen to Ephesians 1. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace. Yes. God created us. This is our whole intended created purpose. God created us for His glory. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who was called by my name whom I created for my glory. God called Israel for His glory. You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified, Isaiah 49.3. I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 11. Jesus Himself sought the glory of His Father in all that He did. The one who seeks of His own authority seeks His own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of Him who sent Him is true. And in Him there is no falsehood. That's John chapter 17, verse 18. Jesus said that He answers prayer that God would be glorified. John chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in My name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, He says. Jesus suffered and died for God's glory. Listen to this. This is John chapter 12. Now now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again, He says. (laughs) Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. John 17, John 13, there they are. God forgives our sins for His own sake. Did you know that? Yeah. He says, I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. What a glorious passage that is. Isaiah 43, verse 25. Now, uh, for your own namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Psalm 25, verse 11. You know, also God instructs us to do everything for His glory. Listen to this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31. That's on our literature out there, isn't it? I hope you have that one memorized. Mm -mm. 
God tells us to serve in a way that will glorify Him. This is the passage I read just a few moments ago in 1 Peter chapter 4. Whoever serves, let him do it as one who serves by the strength which God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 11. Think about this too. All are under judgment for dishonoring God's glory. This is Romans chapter 1. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Uh, And then Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By the way, I hope you know this too. Jesus is coming again for the glory of God. Yes. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His might, when He comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. I mean, even, even in God's wrath, even in wrath, God's aim is to make known the wealth of His glory. <laughs> What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, God has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He prepared beforehand for glory. Romans chapter 9, verse 22 and following. God will glorify Himself. He will make Himself known. (laughs) I like what Nina Gunter says. She says, if you take this mission out of the Bible, you're left with nothing but a front cover and a back cover. (laughs) I mean, it's all through there, isn't it? The glory of God from from the beginning to end. In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. uh, Immediately, the first verse of the Bible, He puts Himself on display. There He is, the Creator. And we go all the way to the end and there He is again, right? And everything in between. So that if you take that out, boy, there's just nothing left. And so I give you the mission, church. The mission is the glory of God. Our going, our preaching, our baptisms, our evangelism, our discipleship, these are a means to a greater end. And we, we, we talked about this in our evangelism class in, in, in Africa the last two weeks we were there. And, and that the end goal of evangelism is not the salvation of souls. Do you understand? You, you think that's, that, that should be the end goal of, of evangelism? No. That is just the means yes. to an end. Yeah. The, the, the end is the glory of God. The means by which you arrive there is evangelism. Yes. <laughs> yeah, highlighting the grace of God. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. The church, I think, is in danger of losing its driving force in many, many places around the world. It's being driven by man-centered motives. If everything and everyone is by Him and for Him, then we must operate that way. Amen? Yeah. A way in which communicates to an observing world that everything is about Him. That's right. When we forget that or in practice forsake that, then church and ministry and missions become about something... Listen... in in fatal and in sinful error, grave error, when we forsake the glory of God for something else, anything else, missions can become about anything we want it to. I mean, we can even feed the hungry and rescue children around the world from human trafficking and even train pastors with little or no thought about God at all. How tragic, how tragic is that? Evangelism turns into something like social justice or, or political activism or, or, or something else. 
No grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Right? Worship becomes an event for the people instead of an encounter with the living God. Preaching becomes man-centered nonsense instead of a life-altering meeting with Jesus Christ. Church becomes about meeting felt needs instead of dealing with man's real and ultimate need of a Savior from sin. Church admissions become, become about relieving or dealing with pain. And, and the believer never learns to suffer well. Listen, I hope you realize this, this is the time of, 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 of victory through suffering in the church. Yes. <laughs> Listen, to suffer in such a way so, so that a watching world will see and hear of the power and the grace of our God as He uses these suffering people, these weak people, to accomplish this worldwide mission to make Himself known. Isn't that amazing? And by the way, He is going to be victorious in this mission. He will be exalted. He will be glorified. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Churches, instead of promoting Christ, promise, or they promote dead saints, or putting their names on pews, or stained glass Jesuses, or dedicating buildings to their past ancestors. We can't, miss the, we can't miss the point of all this, church. All this spending that we're doing, all this going that we're doing, all this teaching that we're doing, all this work, if it doesn't make much of Him, if it doesn't lead to Christ being more known and more adored and more accurately worshipped, listen, it's just wasted effort. It's just wasted effort. God is seeking for His own glory and He will have it with or without us. Amen. We need, we must, we, we, we have to get on board with His mission. Our failures to give God glory, listen, I, I think sometimes can be quite subtle. You know, we, 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 can, we can gladly and, and wholeheartedly see it in other churches, in other people. Isn't that so true? It's so, 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 so easy to see the pride in other people and uh, yeah, see the failures in other places and other churches, but I think it's hard sometimes for us to see that. It's quite possible, I think, for us to think that we're living for the transcendent glories of God and all the while living for ourselves. Mm. To participate in church, to give to missions, to go on short or long-term mission trips, to participate in discipleship, and all the while living for ourselves. How about, I'll just give you a few examples. How about the, uh, I know some of you have these bumper stickers, He is greater than I. Isn't that wonderful? Such a wonderful thing. I had to figure it out after a while. My wife had some of those and I didn't even know what it was. He is greater, he is greater than I. Some of you may not know what I'm talking about. but you know, Listen, if you're going to wear it, you better bear it. Amen. He is greater than I. And, 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 yet, and yet, your irritation every time someone pulls out in front of you reveals who you think is really the, greater, the greatest. You see how subtle it is? How about the mom at home? She says she's representing the Lord Jesus Christ to her children, and yet she's constantly frustrated with her children. Not because they violated the laws of God, but because they violated her laws. How about the husband who whispers a prayer in the morning, whispers to God, prays for his wife and his family, and then speaks evil of his wife at work? How about the child who appears to be sweet and obedient, but has really just learned to become a more secretive sinner? <laughs> 
How about the person who reads the Bible daily and yet daily gazes at pornography and then thinks that as long as his Bible time is greater than his screen time, God is glorified. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what do all to the glory of God. Listen, from the, from the most mundane things of eating and drinking to the greatest things of worship and adoration and service to God, right? We're, we're to make much of God. We're to glorify Him. And so why be a part of the work around the world? Because Christ commands it. And because it's a small part of the big plan of God to demonstrate His grace in Jesus Christ to a watching world. It's about His glory. Let me give you one quote here from or about James Calvert. When James Calvert went out to, uh, as a missionary to the cannibals of Fiji Islands, the ship captain tried to turn him back saying, you will lose your life and the lives of those uh, with you if you go among such savages. To which Calvert replied, we died before we came here. Yes. Listen, it's not about our living, it's not about our dying, it's about the glory of God. So that's the first thing I want to share. What's the mission? The glory of God. Missions then becomes the things that we do. I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 28. So, Matthew chapter 28. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. The absolute authority of Jesus Christ. Let me read it again. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen, I I want you, as we think about this, I want you to be filled with a well-grounded amazement at the absolute authority and sovereignty of Jesus Christ over the world and over His unstoppable mission to gather His sheep from all the unreached people groups of the world. And second, here's kind of a second thing that I want to accomplish in in this section, that many of you would hear the voice of God calling you irresistibly to go, to leave your home, to go to a place of greater need for the everlasting good of lost people and for the glory and the fame of our God. And and listen, you may be thinking, I'm not talking to you. I am talking to you. I'm talking to all of you here. I'm talking to those of you who are in your 20s. You know, you're you're just getting started with life. You're you're married or single or whatever the case may be. You're finishing up your college career and beginning your college season and beginning your career, whatever the case may be. I'm talking to those of you in your 30s and your 40s, approaching the apex of your strength and your achievements. I'm talking to you in your 50s and your 60s who feel so entrenched and and yet so restless, sensing that there has to be more to this life. And what am I going to do with the rest of the rest of the time that I have, the next 25 years or so of my life. And yes, I'm even talking to those of you in your 70s. I won't point you out. Uh, You know who you are. Yeah, those of you in your 70s. Those of you in your 70s who have been lied to all your life by the American establishment about what the final chapter of your life is supposed to look like. Listen, Pastor Eric and and Pastor Jonathan and myself are here by God's grace. We're here by God's grace to minister to the 
to this church and, and, and to preach and teach and disciple and prepare you for your ministry. We're here to equip you for your work, your, your mission in the world. And we're here so that some of you, some, some of the least expected of you, will hear the voice of God calling you to leave your homes, to sell all that you have, and go to a place of greater need for the eternal good of lost sinners and for the glory and the fame of our God in Jesus Christ. Yes. So let me read again this massive statement from Jesus about His sovereign rule over this world and over His mission there in Matthew chapter 28. One more time, here it is. And Jesus came and He said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Jesus came and He said to them those, those words. And let me, just, let me just kind of spell this out for you. Listen, the courage to go... The audacity to make disciples for Jesus from from followers of other lords and other religions, the authority to baptize in the name of the Father and Son and Spirit are all based on the solid rock foundation of these words, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Amen. Do you understand? Yes. Yeah, you get that. that. That's where it starts. Christ... His authority now gives us this this freedom, this ability, this this joy to go and to go and be successful in the mission. (laughs) I I, want to quickly just make three statements. Uh, Maybe quickly is not a good word. I want to quickly make I want to quickly make three statements about Christ's authority and then some applications or implications there at the end. Number one, Jesus has the authority to command his church. And, and, and here's this is, don't you hate subpoints? but here's, here it is Jesus has the authority to command His church and, and such great authority that His church would succeed in the mission mm. do you understand? Mm. the kind of authority to, to secure the success of His church in the mission I, I, I love uh, talking to the guys in, in Africa and, and uh, this idea of authority comes up a lot in Africa with the guys, especially as they go into new places. Because uh, a lot of times they'll go to a place and people will ask them, well, by, by what authority are you here? By what authority are you saying that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior? Or by what authority? And what they mean by that is, what, what prophet has sent you? Or, or uh, you know, you're, you're a man like I am. You know, how, what gives you the, the authority to speak uh, like this to us. It's an important issue in those places. Mm. It used to be an issue here, I think, before postmodern philosophies and that all truth is relative, and then the idea that there is no truth, there is no universal truth. Before self-determination and living your own truth became a thing, people were concerned about the messages they heard and who it was that spoke to them. In Africa, certainly people will ask sometimes, by what authority do you bring this message? I mean, they want to know which prophet, which, which school, or, or, or who are you to tell me about my life and about eternity? Some of the guys in the, in the school, uh, they, they really prize like their ordination certificate. Or they love to talk to people about how I'm a student at the Stuart Wah Pastor Training School. Because they feel like that gives them th- some authority, if you will, when they go into these areas. I'm, I'm trying to teach them, listen, you only need one authority. That's right. That's, that's Jesus Christ. Yes. Jesus Christ. He has the authority to command His church. 
I was speaking to, to some of the guys and they talk about this prophet or that prophet. They have this group called the, the Apostles, they call them. I, I think it's supposed to be Apostles. But, but uh, this is a group that wear white and they meet out in the bush and, and it's, it's a cult. They don't use the Bible, although they may reference it sometimes. But they have a particular prophet and the prophet leads the, the group. And so they, they come. They don't need a Bible because they have the prophet. And, and I told them, when you talk to these people, listen, tell them, you know a prophet greater than their prophet. And, and, and there's still a lot of Roman Catholics in that area and, and they'll talk about, sometimes people will talk about their priest and I say, tell them that you know a priest greater than their priest. Right. You, you know one who is a mediator, a proper mediator, a greater and a better mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Yes. And sometimes people will say, well, I, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm under chief so-and-so or whatever. And then I want, you, listen, I want you to go and tell them, I said, I want you to know that I know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes. I know the one who's been given all authority in heaven and in earth. Listen, you go not because you, you, you have your name on an ordination certificate, not because you're a graduate of the Stuart Wild Pastor Training School. You go and you proclaim by the authority of Christ Himself. Amen. Think about it. Yes. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Yeah. He has authority to command. And, 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 and it's... It's also important, it's also true for us to get our minds around this. His authority goes with us. Look at that last verse. I am with you always to the end of the age. The one who, who spoke, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, goes with us to the end of the age. <laughs> we can speak. And we can confront others in their sin. We can proclaim the gospel. And we can witness for the Lord. And we can make disciples and baptize and teach with the authority of Christ because He has commanded us to do so. (laughs) And promises His powerful and authoritative presence with us to the end of the age. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to be with you for a little while. No, I'm going to be with you what? To the end of the age. In other words, till I come again. Yes. Let me let me just kind of throw this out here to you by way of thinking about this. Does this change the way you think about your life? Does this change the way you think about your job and what you yes. what you do there? Does this change the way you think about your family? Does it change the way you, you eat or the way you drink or or the way you sleep or the way you play, the way you speak to people, the things you watch or don't watch, the things you listen to or don't listen to? It should. Mm-hmm. It should. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That, that word authority is the, is the Greek word ex, exousia. Exousia. Translated here authority. But, it, but it's a statement of His absolute rule. Yes. His absolute rule of His sovereign kingship over heaven and earth. And, and, I, and I, don't want, I don't want to give you the impression here from this or anywhere else that, that the Son of God, the second person of the triune God, at some point did not have the authority of God. Do you understand? But in His humanity, in His humiliation, in His, in his incarnation, He humbled Himself. In that mystery of His self-limitation, the Father gave all rule to the Son. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to be my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, knelt down and washed His apostles' feet. 
Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. God raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the he- in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. Yes. John chapter 17, verse 2. Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom, to all whom You have given Him. Think about that. I mean, what, what, a, what a picture of absolute authority in the great enterprise of world missions. Yes. The Father knows His sheep, and they are His. Yes. He gives them to the Son. And the Son gives life, uh, excuse me, the Father gives life giving authority to the Son, and the Son gives life to all that the Father gives him. Yes. (laughs) To which we then need to clarify did he not always have this authority even in eternity past? Listen to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus was, and has always been, and always will be, God. Amen. He did not become authoritative at His incarnation or His exaltation. But after His death and His resurrection, when He had conquered uh, death and sin, and He now sits exalted at the right hand of God the Father, all rule has been entrusted to Him. That's right. Think about it. Uh, so yes, the Son of God always had total authority, even in heaven and in earth. But when He had done the great work of redemption once and for all, God exalted Him as the God-man, yes. the Redeemer, the Risen One at His right hand. And now, as never before, put the rule of the universe and the mission of the church into the hands of a man, the Son of Man and the Son of God, Jesus, the God-man. Do you understand that makes sense? So, there it is. It's His authority. Now, we need, to, we need to keep going a little bit. A second kind of thought there. Jesus had what kind of authority? How much authority? How much was the extent of His authority? Jesus has what? All authority. This authority, listen, is not the authorization of Jesus to potentially rule, as some people would say. He has the potential to rule. But the authorization of Jesus to actually rule... Remember John 17 too, You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. He is authorized to act. Isn't that amazing? Not simply to enjoy the right to act. The authority of Jesus in heaven and earth is His authorized rule in heaven and on earth. Mm-hmm. What the Father has authority to do, the Son has authority to do. That's right. Jesus has authority to do. Because Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. So where we have statements in the Bible that God has the right to do something, we know Jesus has the right to do something. Yes. Right? So how extensive is that authority and rule? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Let that ring in your ears, that word all. Just let it ring there. Let it stay there for a moment. Think about it. Digest it. And then let's celebrate it. Amen? All authority. He has 
He has authority to create. We're just going to meditate on this for a little while. All things were created through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John 1.3 Jesus Christ, along with Father and Spirit, made the heavens and the earth. Think about it. Ponder it for a moment. How much authority does that take? It takes all authority. <laughs> Secondly, we see His authority in His sovereignty over Satan and all His demons. You remember when He walked the earth? What is this, they said? A new teaching with authority. He commands and even the unclean spirits, they obey Him. Yes, they do. (laughs) They did then. They do now. And Satan cannot touch the children of God without his permission. Yeah. Amen? Everything Satan did to Job. You remember, remember that? You remember that, uh, that wonderful encounter with Job and Satan and God and all that? all that? All that Satan did to Job was by permission from God. And that permission so embodied the design of God Himself that it inspired the writer at the end of the book, there in Job chapter 42, verse 11, they comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Not even Satan and all of his ugly designs fails to perform God's holy purposes. That's how sovereign our God is. We see His sovereignty and His oversight and governance of the affairs of, of man, the affairs of history. This is why John calls Him the King of Kings. The Bible says they will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them for He is Lord of Lords or King of Kings and Lord of Lords and those with Him are called chosen and faithful. What this means practically is that that no king, no president, no chief, no sheik, no premier, no, no prime minister, no governor, no mayor, no congressman takes office except that God through Jesus Christ puts him there. Amen. Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 4, he removes kings and he sets up kings. The Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom He will. He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? (laughs) What have you done? And when rulers are in place, God governs what they do. Think about that for a moment. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. (laughs) Every decision made by every ruler against the church and the mission of Christ will in time work for His good and glorious purposes. Yes. We see His authority over all disease and sickness. I mean, when He walked the earth, you remember that? When Christ walked the earth, He was able to heal with a word. He was able to speak and heal. When Moses objected that He was slow of speech and tongue, God said to him, Who has made man's mouth? (laughs) Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Jesus, listen, has lost none of His power to heal between this day and the first century. When He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Neither Satan, nor viruses, nor bacteria, nor broken chromosomes are sovereign in this world. Jesus is. No disease will stop His mission. Now I've said this to you so many times before. God is the God of microorganisms. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? They answer to Him. We see a sovereign authority over the sinful acts of men. You've got to get this, guys. If we're going to be involved in missions, you've got to get this. God, is, God is, has sovereign authority. Jesus has sovereign authority over the sinful acts of men. 
Oh, how crucial this is for world missions. I mean, right at the center of the Christian gospel, the message Jesus commands us to take to all the peoples of the world is the sovereign sovereignty of Christ, the sovereignty of God over sin. Over sin. The God-ordained, God-planned, God-governed murder of the Son of God. Think about it. Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, I think are two of the most important verses of the Bible to encourage missionaries. That when the, when the worst evil is thrown against the people of God, God means for it to serve His saving plan. Here it is. Truly in the city there, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, um, uh, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, um, along, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28. Herod's mockery. <laughs> Pilate's expediency. The Jewish cry to crucify him. The Gentile soldiers' bloody crown of thorns. The beating. All of it was a part of the plan of God. Think about yes. it. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. All of it was sin, by the way. All of it was sin. I mean, I hope you have a category for that in your own mind. I hope you have a place for thinking about that in your own mind. God can will that sin come to pass without Himself sinning. There's a mystery, a mystery about our God. I mean, if you don't have a place for that in your thinking, then, then what becomes of the gospel? The gospel. Paul says, Paul says it this way, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. <laughs> and all the sinful details are spelled out there. Judas' betrayal, the disciples deserting, the, the soldiers gambling, all the ugliness. It was planned. It was scripted. And Isaiah cries in, in, in Isaiah uh, chapter 53, it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him. He, that is God, God the Father, has put Him to grief. How? At the hand of Herod and Pilate, and the Jewish leaders, and the Gentiles. God saw to it that we would be saved by the murder of His own Son. And Jesus Himself in that very hour was totally in charge. What did He say? He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. That's Christ. There never has been nor ever will be a greater sin than the murder of the Son of God. And if God could govern this sin without being a sinner, He can govern all. God is never intimidated by the sins of men. And by the way, you don't need to be intimidated by the sin of men either. That's right. None of you. Hmm. Sovereign over sin. I, I mean, I could go on. He has authority over the conversion of sinners. So true. He has authority over death. We already know that from the resurrection. By the way, He has authority over not only His own death, He has authority over your death yes. and life. If the Lord wills, you will live and do this or that. Mm. Mm. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. First uh, Corinthians 15 and following, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Don't be afraid of death, my friends. He's sovereign over death. 
Don't fear those who kill the body but can do no more. I mean, we could go on. He's sovereign over nature. You remember him in the boat and he stills the storm. He's, he speaks and, and what? The nature hears his voice and obeys and there's a great calm there in the boat. You remember his authority at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. People were astonished. The Bible says, he says, because he spoke as one having authority and not as the scribes. And therefore, listen, when, when all is said and done, Jesus has absolute authority and power over the mission of the church and it cannot fail. There's a confidence in that. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's, that's a euphemism for death. Even death can't stop it. You can't kill it. You can't kill the church <laughs> or its mission. This mission will not fail. I mean, how much authority is included in all authority in heaven and earth? I mean, the risen, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords reigns over this world and over His mission with absolute sovereignty. Nothing is outside of His sovereign will. Listen to, uh, again, the prophet. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like Me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all My purpose. Isaiah 46. Oh, that we might stand amazed, (laughs) full of faith and unshakable boldness at the authority of Jesus Christ over the world and at His unstoppable mission, right, that He sent us on, (laughs) sending us on. Oh, that we would stop being afraid of the faces of men and be bold servants of the One who has all authority. Now finally, I'm going to finish, I promise, eventually. (laughs) I'm just going to give you, just real, real quickly here, just... Just sort of uh, by way of application or maybe implication here. If, if we really believe this, do you really believe this? Let me just ask you right up yes. Do you really believe this? Yes. Do you believe all this glory of God stuff and all this authority of Jesus stuff? If you do, let me give you some thoughts here. Here it is. If we really believe this, it will embolden our prayer for God in Christ to do what only He can do. Send workers and save sinners, something only He can do. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, It is my heart's desire and prayer to God that they might be saved. Sometimes people will say, well, why, why pray if Christ is sovereign? Hmm. Well, let me ask the, 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 other, the other way around. Why pray if God is, or Christ is not sovereign? I mean, I mean everybody, when we, when we pray for lost people, everybody becomes a Calvinist. That's right. That's right. Everybody does. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't pray, you know, we, we, what do we pray? We pray, God, save them. Yes. Why? Because we know, even, even, even if you're a, 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 listen, a, a, a full-fledged Armenian today, listen, you, you still pray because you still understand God's the one who saves people. That's right. Yeah. When I pray for people that I love most who are lost, and when I pray for the nations of the world, and when I pray for the Jewish nation or whoever, I don't ask God to make ineffectual suggestions to them. And you don't either. No. What do we say? God save them. Take out the heart of stone. Put in a heart of flesh. Cause them to be born again. Raise them from spiritual death. Incline their heart to Jesus. Open their blind eyes. Take away the veil. Give them faith. Overcome all resistance. Make them your own. That's the way we pray, isn't it? I mean, that's the way we pray because, because Jesus is sovereign and has the right to do just all of that. He, he has the right to do it. He has the authority to do it. Oh, may God unleash our hearts and, and family and this church 
a great spirit of bold and confident prayer to the all-sovereign Christ for the people of the world. If we really believe this, not only will we be emboldened in prayer for God and Christ to do what only He can do, it will encourage our evangelism even among the hardest peoples of the world. Encourage our evangelism even among the hardest peoples of the world. Because, listen, nothing's too hard for our God. That's right. He has all authority. <laughs> no human heart is beyond the power of God to break. We're called to join God in doing what only God can do. Think about that. We're called to join God in what only God can do. Hmm. Listen to Acts chapter 26. I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Me. God sends us to do what only He can do. Isn't that amazing? To give spiritual sight to the blind. I mean, listen, listen don't, don't shut me off here. Don't shut me off here. This is a glorious calling, Christian. Listen, go. Open your mouth. Jesus says to do it. In my name and by my power, what only I can do. We are ambassadors for Christ, Paul says. God making His appeal through us, right? His omnipotent, life-giving appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Yes. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.20 this mission, too, is so wonderful, cannot fail. I mean, why would you hold back instead of joining the cause if it cannot fail? I mean, I want to be a part of a winner, don't you? It's a great time to jump on this bandwagon. <laughs> it turns out really, really good. It's the third thing there. Listen, if we really believe this, we'll not only embolden our prayer for God and Christ to do what only He can do, not only encourage our evangelism even among the hardest peoples of the world, if we really believe that Christ has all authority, it will embolden us to leave your home. Here it is. It's going to get uncomfortable. To leave your home and go to a place of greater need for the eternal good of lost people and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. If we really believe that Christ has all authority, it will embolden us to leave our home and go to a place of greater need for the eternal good of lost people and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Think about it for a moment. I mean, can, can God save can God save millions of Roman Catholics in Europe if He chooses to do so? He can. He can if He chooses to do so. God is doing this. I'm praying for you, by the way. I'm praying for you that God would make, make some of you very, very uncomfortable. Um, because I think, I think some of you do need to go. You might, you might be thinking, you know, well, there, there's a greater, great need here in Ashburn. I don't think there's, there's no need for a dichotomy here. There's great need all around the world, right? Probably not all of you are going to go. But some of you will, and I think I thought God's already working in some hearts to, to send some of you, to send some of you to, to sell all that you have and, and, and to go. We have a need right now in Zimbabwe. We we need a missionary there, Miss Laverne. I mean, we all right. We all have this this shelf life where we're going to be here and then we're going to be gone. We we need we need a couple there. We need we need a family there that's going to continue the work. Um, I have a I have a very short shelf life and Pastor Eric and Jonathan I don't know why you think it's just your pastor's responsibility to go and do these things um, some of you need to go some of you should go some of you are being led to go I'm praying for you and I hope that you're praying for me <laughs> our ministry is not done until we breathe our last 
couple of quotes and then I'm, I'm finished, I promise. This is a quote, I think, from uh, William Booth. William Booth. You may not agree with everything he said, but I think this is a good statement. He says, people say, I'm not called to go. Not called, do you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear Him bid you go. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Look to Christ in His face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell Him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstance in the march to publish His mercy to the world. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. This is James Stewart. He says, The concern for missions is not something tacked on to a man's personal Christianity, which he may take or leave as he chooses. It is rooted in the character of God who has come to us in Christ Jesus. Thus it can never be the province of a few enthusiasts, a sideline or specialty of those who happen to have a bent that way. It is the distinctive mark of being a Christian. Finally, Mike Statura. I'm not sure if I know Mike, but he says, the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Yes. Your life is short. Your duties many. Your assistance great. Your reward is sure. The authoritative Christ will see to it. Amen. Amen. Father, thank You for this um, encouraging words, these challenging words. <clears throat> Father, to, to go and to make disciples, Lord, to be about, Lord, where, whether we're here in Ashburn or whether we're halfway around the world in a, in a foreign country somewhere, Lord, help us to be about Your work, to be, God, on mission for You, to go, Lord, not only to, to, to feed people and to teach people and, and disciple and baptize and those kind of things, but to go, Lord, with certain thoughts in our minds and certain words on our lips and certain attitudes that reflect, God, who You really are. And help us to remember in all this going that we go with the absolute sovereign authority of Christ. Thank You for being so good to us and thank You for clarifying, Lord, what it is that we're to be about in Your world for Your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I don't remember the year, but Eric Little had won the gold medal for Scotland. And he packed it all up and went to the mission field. Some people asked him why. And he said because it's complete surrender. As World War II broke out, he put his family on a ship headed to Canada. And some asked, why weren't you on the ship? And he said because it's complete surrender. As he was arrested and placed in a prisoner of war camp, there ended up with a tumor and his nurse happened to be a young lady that he had led to the Lord in the early years back in England. And she realized that he was dying and she ran in. He grabbed her hand and said, it's complete surrender. Yes. It is for all of us, right? Amen. Right? Whether it be our wallets or our feet, it's complete surrender to the authority of our Lord. Father, we just rejoice in the truth of your word. And Father, what a mighty God we serve. And 
Father, to recognize the authority of our Lord. And none of us would disagree with that. And it's easy to say we do, but reality is, do we live like that under the authority of Christ and view our life as going? Have we, have we just uh, sort of pigeonholed those to be just ministry people can do that? Or are we all surrendered knowing that we go in the power of our Lord? So, Father, I pray that you'd raise up in our midst people that will go. That's the next step for us. And Father, we don't use it as something to check off, but Father, that's it. That husband and wife or teenager or whoever would dedicate their lives, I'll go. I'll go. And we'll give you all the praise, all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.